Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, Russ Kennel and Susan Jabinski share insights on funds in 2022. Ben Johnson discusses ETFs to protect your portfolio. Sachin Nagarajan shares his tips for investing in tech stocks. And Leslie Norton sits down with Michael Jancy, founder of Sustainalytics, to talk about sustainable investing. Let's get started. Here are Russ Kennel from Morningstar Research Services and Susan Jabinski from Morningstar, Inc. Hi, I'm Susan Jabinski with Morningstar. Earlier this year, Morningstar Fund Investor Editor Russ Kinnell flagged 15 funds that he likes for 2022 and beyond. He's here today to talk about two more funds that he wants to add to that list. Thanks for being here today, Russ. Glad to join you. So let's talk a little bit about the choppiness that we've seen in the market so far in 2022. What are some of the factors that are behind that? Yeah, I think there are a few factors. It's always hard to know for certain, but I think certainly... Uh, the prospect of Fed rate hikes uh, is looming over the market, as well as obviously uh, rising inflation, which is part of the reason those those rate hikes uh, are, are expected. So, so that's a, a concern, though, of course, rates are really low right now. So even some rate hikes wouldn't be uh, huge. So possibly it won't be as bad as, as we're expecting. I, I think obviously another part of the story is COVID. Uh, we we know by now that it's pretty hard to predict what the next turn is. So I think obviously that's another uh, worry for the market is is we don't know what COVID will uh, do to the economy uh, this for the rest of the year. So you know, given that backdrop, Russ, how would you inf- suggest that fund investors sort of think about their portfolios today? Yeah, I, th- I think all you can do is just keep swimming. I think you know it's it's just a it's a difficult environment. It's always bumpy, but that's why you get superior returns from, from equities is, is that uh, you have risks that you could lose 20 or 30% in the next month. That's always a looming risk. Uh, but the, the, the other side is that in order to enjoy those good returns, you actually have to own the stocks near the bottom. So uh, you, know, you want to stick to your plan Know your holdings. Write down all your reasons for owning those stock, those holdings, as well as uh, what you expect for the downside and upside, so that when things do go poorly, you can consult that, and that should, you know, provide some comfort, provided you've got a good plan. So let's let's get to the picks. You know, there are a couple of funds that we wanted to talk about today that build on that list of fifteen funds that you wrote about earlier this year on Morningstar.com. Um, the first fund is BlackRock Sustainable Large Cap Core, um, and we recently upgraded the fund analyst rating on the fund's cheapest share classes to silver. So tell us about it and why it's on your list. Yeah, uh, BlackRock has made a huge commitment to both ESG and quantitative strategies, uh, and the, that commitment really comes together nicely in this fund. It's a quantitatively run fund. Uh, we like the process. We upgraded it because we like how uh, this is a very deep team, and they keep uh, updating the process. So they're always looking for uh, new wrinkles to add. And I think that's really important uh, for a quantitative fund because uh, lots of other com- competitors are out there trying to do the same thing. So you really need to uh, keep evolving the process. Uh, so this is a nice fund. Uh, it, Unlike some ESG funds, its sector biases are very modest. So it it doesn't say completely avoid energy or some of the other cyclical industries. So that gives you kind of a straight down the middle core exposure. 
And your second fund today, Russ, is T. Rowe Price Global Allocation, and that's a world allocation fund. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, this is a fund where uh, we upgraded the people to high. Uh, we, we really think highly of uh, T. Rowe's allocation team. It's about 80 people deep. They run their allocation funds, the target date funds. Um, and, and so we, we really think they've, they've done a good job of improving both their people and processes. And at this fund, uh, they're essentially tapping uh, underlying strategies uh, run by a lot of the, the, our favorite T. Rowe managers. So you have good allocators, but you also have good uh, stock and bond pickers underneath them. So it's a, it's a really nice mix. And of course, uh, super diversified, as you'd expect from a global allocation fund. Well, Russ, thank you for your fund ideas today and for your perspective on the markets. We appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm Susan Javinsky. Thanks for tuning in. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, Ben Johnson from Morningstar Research Services discusses ETFs in 2022. Hi, I'm Susan Chavinsky with Morningstar. The U.S. stock market has gotten off to a rocky start so far in 2022. Is it time for investors to think about playing a little defense? Joining me today to discuss the topic and to talk about a few defensive ETFs is Ben Johnson, Ben's Morningstar's Global Director of ETF Research. Hi, Ben. Thanks for being here. Hi, Susan. Thanks for having me. So, Ben, can you put into perspective a little bit about what's driving the stock market this year and and what's going on? Do you think a little defense might be warranted on the part of investors? Well, Susan, what we've seen thus far in 2022 has been a a not-so-gentle reminder that that stocks can also go down. Uh, We've been living through moments in markets that have been marked by no alarms and and no surprises. And, And what we're seeing is that there's evidence increasingly that this bull market is getting quite long in the tooth, very long in the tooth, and that valuations are stretched. Things may or may not be, depending on the corner of the market, priced to perfection. So any little blemish we see, any little cloud we see on the horizon is enough to send people running for the hills in in some cases. And certainly in some corners of the market, we've, we've seen that you know, notably in some of the high-flying, unprofitable growth names that had powered markets forward through you know, most of the, the post-COVID recovery period. So, Ben, of course, one of the issues that investors are concerned about this year is inflation. And one of your picks is actually an inflation-related fund, Vanguard Short-Term Inflation-Protected Securities. And again, this focuses on shorter-term tips. So who might this ETF be a good idea for? What do we like about it? Well, this is a fund that might have the most appeal to those folks that are worried about both inflation and rising rates, given that it directly helps to hedge inflation, investing in treasury inflation-protected securities, which see their values adjusted based on inflation prints. Uh, Also, for those who are worried about rising rates, this focuses exclusively on the shorter end of the maturity spectrum within the tips market. So if if you're worried about both of those two scary things, inflation, which has reached its highest level in decades recently, and rising rates, which for years now we've thought that they have really 
nowhere to go but up. And certainly inflationary pressures would seem to point to them going higher. The Fed has telegraphed that they are going to indeed go higher at some point in the very near future. Just how high for how long is anybody's guess. Uh, but VTIP is an interesting option for those investors that are worried about both of those things that are looming large in the investment landscape today. And another defensive idea is Vanguard dividend depreciation. What qualities does this ETF possess that give it sort of that defensive flavor that investors might be looking for? Well, VIG is just a terrific all-weather portfolio, but when it really shines shoot, shines through is, is oftentimes when the going gets tough. And when the going gets tough, it's those durable franchises that this portfolio tends to fold in that tend to hang tough. So VIG looks for durable dividend growers. Fun, firms that have paid dividends for at least 10 years running have grown those dividends for at least 10 years running. And what that is evidence of is a solid franchise of solid and steady cash flows, of growing cash flows that are going to be able to supersede and cut through whatever choppiness we see in, in the broader markets. Indeed, that's been the case through the fund's long history. It tends to hold up better than the market at large when the market goes through some of its toughest stretches. And then lastly, Ben, your last idea is iShares MSCI USA Minimum Volatility Factor ETF, which is a low volatility fund, as its name suggests. Um, you know, how does the fund work and how might it play a role in a portfolio that's trying to play a little bit more defense? Well, USMV is ultimately setting out to build the least volatile or at least a less volatile portfolio of stocks drawing from the MSCI USA index as its starting point. So the USA is its oyster. It, subject to certain constraints, tries to build the least volatile portfolio it can from that starting point. Now, it's generally done a very good job in meeting its objective. It's been incrementally less volatile than the market at large, but it is incumbent upon investors who are considering this fund to understand that low volatility, less volatility does not mean no volatility. We've seen episodes in this fund's lifespan where it's been every bit as volatile, sometimes more volatile, experienced sharper drawdowns than the market at large. It is going to be less volatile over a long period of time and should not be either praised or discarded based on its performance in any one episode in the markets. It's also important to understand that the trade-off that is involved here is that you will in all likelihood experience less downside volatility in exchange for capturing less of the upside. And there was a very poignant and painful reminder of that for investors in this fund, many who have since fled in the sharp rebound we saw off the market bottom in 2020. What we saw is that USMV and many of its sibling strategies couldn't even come close to keeping up with the market when it made its fastest ever comeback. And that is a trade-off that you're going to have to be able to make. It's pain that you're going to have to be able to take if you're going to stick with a fund like USMV and use it successfully. 
Well, Ben, thank you so much for your time today, your perspective on the markets, and these defensive ideas. We appreciate it. Well, thank you again for having me, Susan. I'm Susan Javinsky with Morningstar. Thank you for tuning in. Next, Sachin Nagarajan from Morningstar Inc. shares his insights on investing in tech stocks. You probably heard of tech stocks in the news, like Apple, Microsoft, or Zoom, and there's a lot to like about them. They're fast growing, poised to benefit from a more technological world and offer cutting edge products and services. But they have drawbacks too. Tech stocks often trade at prices above their fair value because investors are willing to pay more for their potentially promising future. These high valuations come with high expectations though. Good news or financial results could push these stocks higher while the opposite could cause the stocks to fall. Before investing in a tech stock, ask yourself these two questions. Is it a good business and what is it worth? Morningstar analysts help us answer the first question. They assign stocks an economic moat rating. It measures the strength of a company's competitive advantages and ability to fend off competition. Those that earn narrow or wide moat ratings can keep rivals at bay for at least 10 years. The Morningstar rating for stocks helps us answer the second question about worth. Stocks that receive four or five star ratings are trading below their Morningstar fair value estimate, which tells investors what the long-term value of a stock is. Check out Morningstar.com to see what our analysts think stocks are worth. Lastly, Leslie Norton from Morningstar Inc. and Michael Jancy from Sustainalytics share their thoughts on sustainability in 2022. After a big year for sustainable investing, what's next? Joining us to answer that question is Michael Jancy, founder of the Morningstar company Sustainalytics, which provides Morningstar's globe sustainability ratings for your mutual funds and ETFs. Michael, we saw nations acting to address climate change last year, inflows surging into sustainable mutual funds and ETFs. What key themes do you expect in 2022? Well, Leslie, I, you mentioned climate change. I expect that climate change, which has been a catalyst for sustainability discussions over the last couple of years, will remain on the agenda. But I do think that climate change increasingly will be a catalyst for a broadening of the conversations across the sustainability spectrum. So I was struck that at the COP26 conference in Glasgow last November, there were a lot more conversations about environmental issues, including biodiversity and deforestation and their link to climate change. Uh, it really hit me that you know climate-related uh, weather events uh, really do have a disproportionate uh, impact negatively so on less developed economies and, and people who are less prepared or less resilient to take on the challenges of climate risk. And so, uh, you know, that link to inequality is, is, I think, going to be increasingly on the agenda. And I was also struck that at COP26, even issues of human health and their link to climate change uh, were being talked about. And I, I do really expect that those conversations are going to continue and uh, alongside uh, climate as being a central theme. Right. Now, Michael, net zero or reducing emissions to net zero is also sort of a big organizing principle here. Why should investors care? Well, you're absolutely right, Leslie. Net zero is going to be on the agenda, which is obviously linked to climate change. I think from my perspective, one of the important things to remember about net zero is it's not just a conversation about carbon emissions. From my perspective, we're talking about something here that's much more significant and profound. From my perspective, we're talking about that transition to a net zero economy, which is really more akin to the next industrial revolution from my perspective. We're talking about a transition that is going to radically change our economic system. And so why should investors care? Well, 
the business models that underpin our economy are going to have to change. And I think through that net zero transition, you're going to have winners, you're going to have survivors, and you're going to have casualties. So, of course, that presents risks and opportunities. And it really, for me, is an example why sustainability has moved from sort of a nice tool to have in the investor toolbox to a really something that they need to be looking at. So, where are the risks? Well, from my perspective, I think, you know, hydrocarbon heavy industries and companies are going to have a rough go of it over the next uh, uh, 10 to 15 years. But at the same time, there's just tremendous opportunity. I mean, there's a lot of smart people already talking about uh, the fact that the economic conditions for substitution of renewables are, are here, you know, wind, solar already being very price competitive with coal and gas, for example, and the opportunities we're going to see in, in electrification and innovations around green hydrogen and so on. There's just a lot of opportunities there. So when we have risk and we have opportunity, that means investors uh, need to be looking at the net zero transition as, as a central part of their investment thesis moving forward. What other themes are going to shape the discussion, Michael? Well, again, when I think about themes on the agenda, I really do look from that investor perspective. So I think in 2022 and beyond, you know, how investors are going to grapple with these changes, how are they going to address the risks in their portfolio, leverage the opportunities that we've seen are going to uh, really be uh, some key themes. And what's interesting to me is the approaches that investors are taking globally um, are reliving some of the old debates we've seen in the sustainable investing field. So, for example, we've seen some investors, uh, you know, in North America, across Europe, saying, well, instead of engaging with companies on these transition, we're just simply going to make the decision to get out of uh, these heavy uh, hydrocarbon heavy uh, industries. And so we've seen investors in the United States and in the Netherlands, for example, be very transparent in saying over the next several years, we're going to be divesting ourselves of fossil fuel producers, for example, saying that, you know, the engagement efforts that we've had over time are not as effective. And so maybe they're looking to allocate that capital to capital to, you know, other investment opportunities, but, you know, they're making those decisions within their fiduciary mandates to their plan members and unit holders and clients. And then on the other hand, we've seen some real, really bold examples and success stories with uh, investors that are looking to continue to engage with companies through this transition. So last year, we saw Calsters working with engine number one uh, in regards to making some changes on the Exxon board. Uh, what am I going to be look for, looking for next year? Will those success stories continue? Will investors be able to have those positive impacts through their stewardship activities at scale? So for me, the trends are going to be a conversation about different approaches investors are going to take around this transition to, to avoid those risks, capture those opportunities. And it's not to me a question of either or. There's lots of tools in the investor frame uh, toolbox, and it'll be a question about how they leverage those to the best advantage of their clients. Finally, sustainable investing is mostly a phenomenon for institutions, for pension funds and the like. Are individuals interested in sustainable investing? It's absolutely yes, is my answer to that question. I think our own research at Morningstar points to the increasing interest of individual investors in that retail and wealth audience. I mean, we've seen uh, unprecedented, unprecedented high levels of, of funds 
uh, or assets flow into these sustainable funds over the past several years, quarter after quarter. I think that's going to continue. Uh, and one of the things that I think it's important for us to remember is this, you know, division between institutional and the individual investor. Well, let's remember that people are the plan members of pension plans. Uh, people, individual investors are a large client base for these asset and investment managers that we term institutional investors. So there's a strong link between these two. But I think that interest is going to continue and, and in fact, intensify with the individual investor because they care about the financial and the impact outcomes of their investments. So they see that institutional investors take account of sustainability factors because they believe it, it positions them for better long-term financial success. But individuals also are increasingly understanding that they can have a positive impact with their investment dollars, whether it comes to climate change, other environmental issues, social issues as well. So I think the retail that individual investor is very much going to be on the agenda in 2022 and forward. Thank you so much, Michael. And that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us. For more, please read Michael's latest quarterly letter, which you can find in the Sustainability Matters section of Morningstar.com. And for Morningstar, I'm Leslie Norton. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.